Welcome to episode 11 of the Fit for Golf podcast. In this episode, I am joined by expert golf coach Lee Cox. Lee has a very interesting perspective on golf coaching developed from 30 years of coaching and continuing education. He works with a number of regular golfers and tour pros, but is also a world-renowned long drive coach and expert in gaining speed and distance. We cover a range of topics about how you can practice and train to increase clubhead speed and distance. If this is a topic that interests you, I think you will really enjoy this episode. Did you know there is a Fit for Golf app loaded with training material suitable for players of all fitness levels? It is the only golf fitness resource you will ever need and is currently being used by six PGA Tour players, two European Tour players, and thousands of amateurs all over the world. Check it out on www.fitforgolf.blog and use the code FFGTRIAL to get a one-month trial for just $6. You will, find it in, you will not find it in the App Store. You must go to my website. I hope you enjoy this episode with Lee. If you do so, I would appreciate if you could take 10 seconds to leave a review or rating. Now to Lee Cox. Lee, can you give us a little bit of an intro into where you're based and what exactly you're currently doing for work? So I'm based at a golf club called the Shire London, uh, which is in uh, North London, just outside the M25, which most people know is the, the motorway that goes around London. Uh, I, I'm basically 99% of my work is done there. Um, I'm the head pro there, but I, I, I'm not a head pro as in the sense of having a shot. I just coach, uh, and I've done that for many years now. And uh, I, I generally coach sort of uh, medium to, to good players, quite a few pros. Uh, and uh, I've been involved in the long drive scene for probably 15, 20 years now. So it, it started off as a as a bit of a an interest and, and a hobby. And then from that, uh, it's created um, uh, a, a bit of a business out of it, which wasn't the plan originally, but that's how it's worked out. And timing-wise at the moment, obviously, everyone's very interested in the distance. What were you, you mean the long drive was a hobby, first of all, or golf coaching was a hobby? No, the, no, the golf coaching was uh, was I've been doing that for thirty years. The long the long drive okay. was something that I was I got a little bit interested in um, as I started working with Joe Miller maybe eighteen years ago, and then um, I, I, I got very much into that. I, I thoroughly enjoyed working in that uh, in that sport and uh, carried that on for many years. That was actually my first question was going to be your renowned golf coach and long drive coach. How did the entry into long drive start? It's a funny story. I've told it many times, but I sort of fell into it. So I was aware of the sport, and then I was I had a good reputation as a coach in North London. And Joe Miller's dad came to see me when Joe was probably maybe sixteen, seventeen, maybe two thousand and one, two thousand and two, and he said to me, "I'd like you to try and help my son get into long drive." So he said, "Are you happy to do that?" So I said, "Yeah, of course, yeah." And I got in the car on the way home and drove home and suddenly realised I didn't know anything about long drive. Yeah, uh, that's that's interesting. And Joe has since won two World Long Drive Championships. Is that correct? 
Yeah, he's won. Uh, he's won two. Uh, yeah, two world long drive championships. Probably could have won three or four if uh, if things had happened for him. But the only man outside the US and Canada to have ever won the world long drive championships. They won two thousand and ten and two thousand and sixteen. Well, that's amazing. Later on in the podcast, I have a couple of questions about maybe the development of training of long drivers and what uh, just regular golfers can learn from them. The next thing I wanted to touch on was. What are the commonalities you see in players that create huge distance? And maybe if you could break it down into technical factors and also physical things you see with people, I think that would help listeners. So common things that that very long hitters tend to do from a technique perspective and also how they are physically. Um, yeah, from... from um... From a, a, a body point of view, I think um, some people are born fast. So however, however good I am at coaching, some people genetically just are fast. Um, I, I, many years ago, I found out that you you know, you know could train for speed, and that's obviously something you've gone very much down the avenue. So you can – I think that most people perform well below their athletic ceiling or their potential from a, you know, a sequence point of view. Um, so, uh, given the fact that you know uh, very very fast people generally have the genetics and the DNA to do it, if we looked at uh, many things, generally they're strong. So they're generally pretty strong to be able to get some force on that club. Uh, if you got into three D, their sequences of their movements are very good, so that they they get the most out of what they do sequence wise. Um, I think a lot of people go down the avenue of trying to swing it fast, but actually forget you need a pretty good swing to do so. So the below long drivers, the, the next category of really good swingers are pros um, who obviously put their bits together very well. Uh, so I think sequence things, um, I think they move very well. I, I, I guess one thing that very long hitters do, they're able to move their lead arm very fast. So from a coaching point of view, I, I sort of reverse engineer that. If I know they've got to get their le left arm going pretty fast or their right arm if they're left-handed, I would certainly think on how I would be able to change that. Um, I think there's two things you can influence if you want to hit the ball well. You can influence the or hit the ball a long way. You can influence the ball. So if you look at your average guy who comes through the door, he generally doesn't uh, have a very high smash factor. He doesn't launch it correctly, and he generally has too much spin on it. And then the other thing you can influence is obviously the club. You know, how fast can you swing it? So uh, I think you've got to look from very simple terms. Um, what do you need to actually make the do better, the ball or the club? Uh, find out what your priority. And then if we look at very good players, um, whether they do well or long hitters, which you asked me, they generally have, you know, very good tempos to their swing. They move their body parts in very good sequence. Their body parts are generally quite strong. Uh, and the mechanics, the way they use their muscles are very good. So, um, you know, it just depends if you're going to attack it from yourself from a speed point of view. What's the best start point? Yeah, no, that's excellent. Um, something that jumped out to me there uh, as very interesting and something I've been thinking a little bit about lately in terms of training protocols that I'm going to experiment with is you mentioned lead arm speed. So the left arm for a right-handed golfer and that being very important for club head speed. Are you measuring that, Lee? Do you have something that you use to actually get numbers for that, or is it more an observation from your coaching? Uh, the lead arm, you mean? Yeah. Um, 
I found out many years ago, I, I tried to be a bit of an expert in everything. And, um, you know, I had uh, a K-Vest. I had one of the very early uh, K-Vests. And then um, uh, I borrowed a body track many years ago. And, I, and I, I found actually down the line that I was better actually getting hold of great experts in those particular fields. So I suppose one of the things I'm an expert at is getting hold of experts. So if I was going to measure it, um, I've got my own flight scope, my own launch monitor. But um, Steve Furlonger, who um, I know you know, um, and Steve Gould, who I, I think makes the best force plates on the planet, I'll go to them for ground force reactions. Uh, I've used Mark Bull. Most people have heard of Mark Bull for 3D measurements. So what I'll do is them, uh, for, uh, quite after they send me a report with about 10 pages, I flick through the first nine and look at the summary, and then I work, yeah, out, yeah. Back, then I work out backwards what I might do. But, but certainly, um, certainly from a, a beginning point of view, I'm, I'm going to collect some data. Um, I can... I can, in a very crude way, measure some left arm speed if I if I sync my video system um, against another swing that's faster, very crudely. Uh, but if I really want some answers, I'll go to the people who can give me the answers. That's for sure. Um, I certainly know you. You would have probably seen some tour tempo stuff. Yes. Yeah. For for definite. And um, I, I use a lot of their exercises for lead arm speed, and obviously in their tempo tones. Um, we know that you're not going to be able to reach the ball in a three-to-one ratio if your left arm doesn't have some speed. So crudely, I think you can do some stuff without measuring. But if I want exact answers, I've found a load of experts all over the world. Okay, that's great. Yeah, so you you basically have ways of of checking it yourself, but you do know how it can be measured by people that have the technology too. And it's it's something that you've been able to see confirmed, basically, your... your um, your ideas have been confirmed with measuring is basically what yeah. I'm getting at. Yeah, it's a bit like um, I've, had a, I've had a flight scope for, for, I don't know, 10 years. And um, you can make a pretty good guess at the, <laughs> the numbers after a while. So you, you might be able to guess. It sounds a bit nerdy, but you could say to someone that launched about nine degrees is too low. That's got about 4,000 spin. And pretty much, not exactly, you'll, you'll have a good guess. Um, now, uh, and then you can measure it to confirm. And exactly the, a little bit with body movements, I have a guess, and then I confirm if I'm not sure. Ground force reactions are a little different in that you can't quite see them. So you can have a guess, but re- but really you need them measured, in my view. Yeah, no, that's perfect. Um, something that I'm going to experiment with. I've already done a little bit of it, but not much. Um, and that's why I'm, I'm kind of harping on about it a little bit. But is uh, I'm going to experiment with some protocols for people who are interested in gaining clubhead speed with single arm only swings probably with lighter implements like uh, the lightest speed stick or maybe junior clubs and having measurement on it and trying to get both arms moving as quickly as possible, but do- training them in an independent fashion. It's something that I'm going to try and uh, experiment with. Yeah, so um, I, I, I'm terrible. I've bought every speed training the gadget in the world, yeah? So I bought them and yeah. I, I've sort of distilled it into a few that I work. So if I was going to train someone, I would I would make them doing one-handed swings, two-handed swings, and both-handed swings. Uh, to a tempo, for instance, do a speed ball with a pad that I yeah. do one-handed and, and two-handed. And I actually measure them at the beginning. So I measure the left well, arm yeah. speed, measure the right arm speed, measure both speeds, and then I'll, I'll see if I can get them up. Um, Mac 3 do a, a, a pretty good... Um, I think it's called Speed Bomber, or they do a one-handed, left-handed one, very good 
for one arm speed. And then um, say I'm going to go and meet Steve Furlonger in a few weeks. Uh, we've got some new um, training ideas and protocols. And what we then do is I'll take them to Steve. We'll put them on his force plates and we're going to measure, is it making a difference? We think it is. We can measure the speed part of it on a, on a flight yeah. scope. And then we're going to see whether it's going to give us a better ground floor reaction. So I certainly, from my experience, have found that making one-arm practice swings left-hand and right-hand um, with certain devices has made a difference. Yeah, that's great. The only um, – I think that's a really good idea. The only um, kind of word of caution that I would give to players is I've tried this a little bit, and I'm in, say, reasonably good shape, probably you know at a higher level of conditioning than a lot of the listeners – be wary of elbows and wrists, especially elbows. I found elbow tendons, like if it's a golf, someone who's susceptible to golfers or a tennis elbow, just be very gradual with your build up on these because you're literally putting half of your, you're putting double the the weight onto onto each arm basically when you take one of them away. Yeah, yeah there's, um, that? Uh, sorry, there's a Mike. Just what you said there. Uh, I'm not a yeah. fitness. I, uh, I know a little bit about fitness, but I'm no expert by a long way. Um, but in the, um, from doing thousands of training, uh, you are spot on. I've seen two long drive guys injure themselves left hand only by not warming up properly and going full at it. So I have seen that they, they actually picked up left shoulder injuries hitting the yeah, pads one handed. So I have seen that in action. Yeah, I think um, I think that's a good point. It's something I, I would make sure of in the protocols that I end up doing is definitely starting with obviously a, a thorough warm up and having people conditioned for it maybe not even starting with max speed doing maybe you know 50% or 75% but i'm pretty certain i will advise a lighter than normal implement so either a you know just buying one junior club for you know 20 pounds or something with a you know a light graphite shaft or using the lightest speed stick and even just gripping down the shaft towards the end of the grip would make a big difference too and the other thing to that is if it's too heavy it's probably going to be getting slightly away from speed training anyway, and it will be more of a, a strength exercise. So there's there's a trade-off there would have to be found. Yeah, I know um, I've seen people swing tour sticks. You know what I mean by tour sticks? They're very light things. And I know when they measure them on a 3D vest, it threw all the chain of events out, the sequence of events. So I think if you go too heavy or too light, you're right. It doesn't become a good um, realistic swinging thing because all your sequences are out of pattern. Yeah, exactly. And that that tips into why some training exercises in the gym, you're actually probably better off doing them more from just a general standpoint to get bigger and get stronger and then use your, your practice time or your speed training time to use the implements, i.e. golf clubs that you use when you're swinging to make sure you're getting the right coordination. Because as soon as you change the implement you're using by a lot, it's actually something that I get asked in videos quite a bit. If I'm kind of doing a some sort of rotational cable pulley move with you know 40 kilos or 80 pounds or swinging a 30 pound kettlebell somebody might comment that doesn't reflect what a golf swing will look like and kind of the answer is well if you think about it of course it won't it's it's a completely different object it's a completely different weight it's set in a completely different uh in a completely different position so it will never be quite the same and the idea there is that you're not trying to perfectly match the sequences or positions you'd see in the swing because it's it's impossible. You're trying to get generally stronger and generally more powerful. So then when you practice your golf swing, whether you're working on your technique or your speed, 
there's more horsepower there and it gives you a chance to to tap into it then when you practice basically one question lee there that um i want to make sure i get in is so you have measured um for let's just say a right-handed player as an assessment you measure a left-handed swing a right-handed swing and then both hands on the club together do you have any sort of ratios that you found for players what they should be right versus left versus both no, it's a good. It's a good question. That's a bit variable. I, I've seen generally the left hand slightly faster than the right, um, and I actually picked this up from a training expert that uh, left slightly faster than the right, but not always the case. It can be the other way round. And then if you find one of them is potentially much slower than what you've seen, okay, so right generally slightly lower than the left. I would work harder on that arm from experience, but there is no pattern. I've seen that vary person to person. No, that, that's excellent. And I think straight away what people will find there and be thinking in their own heads is, first of all, we're going to have people who have had an injury to one arm. You're going to have someone who has a right shoulder issue as a right-handed golfer. And they might find that when they do this single arm assessment that their right side is way worse. Really good sign that they need to work on their right hand. Other sports I can see coming into play a lot. Um I'm just thinking of Irish people in particular who have played a lot of hurling, which is probably, you know, half of the population of golfers in Ireland, at least I would say. Um, And then the other thing is uh, less amount of people, but it still happens a bit, is right-handed golfers who are actually left-handed is probably another, another area there. So that's actually something I wasn't, I didn't think we'd get into as much today, but, uh, a takeaway for listeners definitely is if you have some sort of speed measuring device, do it conservatively to start with, but you can do a simple assessment, do some swings left-handed, see what your speed is, do some swings right-handed, see what your speed is, and then do some swings two-handed and see what your speed is. And if you can see that there's a big weakness in one of the hands, it's probably a good idea to implement some of those types of swings in your training even if you're beginning them at 50 or 75%. And then over time, as that speed goes up on the weaker arm, see if the club head speed goes up when you have two hands together. I think um, you made a valid point there as well, Michael, that a lot of people, if they're trying to speed train, they do need a, a, a measuring device. Um, we know that launch monitors are prohibitively expensive. But you can get some nice little um, speed training uh, measuring devices like a swing speed radar, SSR, PRGR, what I've seen many people do without that is you can go down the wrong route because because I've been doing it so long like you are. The amount of people said, oh, that felt fast. Well, they just hit a good shot. Say they hit the ball, yeah. They said to me, oh, that one's fast. And I said, no, you might just have hit a good shot there. Or conversely, don't hit a good shot, but it's a faster swing. You need confirmation off that radar. Otherwise, you can just go down the wrong pathway. If you're sitting on your own without anything, it might feel fast. It doesn't mean it's fast. You've got to measure it. Yeah, no, that's that's a great point. I think um, what gets really important there too for people, which is basically impossible to decipher yourself without some sort of feedback, is that it might when it on those swings when you're trying to go faster and it feels faster, you might have actually got to a higher speed, but it's not at impact. Yeah, yeah true. You, you might have you you might have wasted it a long time beforehand. Um, so no, I think they're really good points. Um, the single arm assessments, and also making sure you have some sort of speed measuring feedback if you if you do want to to get into some training and tracking it. 
we're going to segue a little bit, um, Lee. So obviously there is similarities between golf and long drive, but there's also some quite big differences. In long drive, the competitors basically have eight balls where they have, is it 90 seconds? Uh, yeah, it went, it went down now. It's two, two minutes 30, and last year it went back to six balls. Sorry, okay. now this year, sorry, this year that never happened was meant to be six yeah. balls. You're right, though. It had always been eight balls, and um, it went down to six balls this year. But obviously there was, apart from a couple of events in America, every other event, including the World Championship, was cancelled. So it was six, went up to eight, and gone back down to six again. Just to try, they, they were trying to get a bit more accuracy. They felt with eight balls, maybe people were just going too hard. They tried to bring a little bit more accuracy into it, as much as you can with long drive. Okay, and the basically the goal of the sport is you get this number of balls, and it's only one ball to count. So you have a grid that you need to get your ball to come to rest in, and the longest ball that you have in the grid is is your counting ball, basically, and you're up in one-on-one match play versus someone else. So we see, we see huge speeds, but we also do see a lot of balls out of the grid, uh, which is going to happen when, when players are swinging at 150 miles per hour of clubhead speed or more. What are some of the tweaks that you think are easier or harder for normal golfers to integrate into their game that long drivers use? So we know long drivers look into different equipment. They look into slightly different types of strategies with their swings. Um, And they also have a, a different intent, obviously, than someone who's playing golf. But a regular golfer wants all of their tee shots to be in play. They don't all necessarily need to be in the fairway, but we definitely need to be trying to keep them inside the tree lines or inside the boundaries. So is there certain ways you've seen to try and increase speed and distance that are maybe, say, more risky, but worth it if you're long drive? But then other ones that are, I don't think this has much of an impact negatively on accuracy at all, and it, it does increase speed. Yeah, so, I mean, as you say, the, the, the two disciplines are quite different. So uh, let's take Joe Miller because we were talking about him earlier. So many people have seen him swinging in long drive, swinging, you know, one five five. I've seen him swing as fast as one five seven, But that's not how he plays golf. So if you were playing with him, amazingly, he plays at about one forty two, one forty three, with a very different-looking swing that he can get on the golf course. So what we'll see here is where we're a long driver, we're pushing everything to the limit. They'll be pushing swings. So very often you see they have a long golf swing. Uh, very often you'll see that almost inevitably their left heel comes off the ground. They always have upright swings because they can get more a vertical chop or hand path length. Now, what you can do is you can – it depends on the person, but you could pick a bit from a long driver that, that could help your average player, but you probably need the right uh, advice to get that bit. So what do long drivers do? They get the most out of the ball flight. Now, they might hit 10 up. Now, we know that a player who's hitting three down, just two up might help him a little bit. Uh, We know that long drivers have what I would call an upload. They have a big shift. And I I saw you doing it on Twitter yesterday that uh, long drivers move their mass to the right of it. They move it up. They then unweight themselves and move back down. And now, even if your average man could get a little bit of that, just a little bit of that, he'd hit it a little bit further. Um, you know, they swing their swings very long. You know, generally long drivers have very long golf swings, probably not a great way to play. So that was something you might not take out of it. I think one of the things in the last few years is that 
you see a lot of tour guys like Justin Thomas, left foot moves from about, you know, early in his downswing, skips away. Um, uh, I think a lot of people are a bit happier these days for a bit more movement in their legs. So of the 90s of the, you know, keep your legs still and don't move your knees and distance through resistance. I do think that that long drivers and, you know, Bubba, who was a great driver on tour, and Justin, there are things that can be ported over. It's just choosing the right one. Um, it can be a dangerous game <laughs> uh, trying to add distance because, you, you know, there's many people who have struggled. It's getting with a good coach who could pick something that a long drive guy does, whether it's in his ball flight, whether it's in something he does in a move that could be applicable within what their body allows them to do that might give them an edge. Uh, I was interested, I think I was listening to Chris Como the other day, and he, he was talking about Bryson, that they tried a load of things. Um, sorry, he'd benchmarked him at the beginning. He'd measured all his stuff on gears. He had them on the Steve Gould's fo- uh, force plates. He'd measured them. He then tried some things, and I was hearing that he, he, he got rid of 70% of them. He tried them, didn't work, binned them. But because he had a measurement at the beginning, he could take him back there. So there are things. I mean, long drivers do multiple things from their footwork to their rib cage, to their arms, to their wrist cock. Uh, you know, long drivers very often have extended cut wrist at the top, uh, makes them swing further, more lag. Uh, but it's probably not, not a great way to figure to do on tour. Um, probably the opposite would work well. So I think it's just a, a clever decision done the right way. You can port little bits of their skills into you. But I think it needs the right guideline and be done. You know, you wouldn't be buying full into a long drive swing. You probably won't hit many fairways again. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you there, definitely. Um, something that you brought up there that is just a sort of theory I have from from uh, observation, basically, is that if you look at players who don't have, let's say, a great physical stature, they, they, weren't, uh, they weren't given the genetics for, say, massive distance, generally players who might be a little bit smaller or, you know, a little bit less powerful but have still developed very high clubhead speed. Like Justin Thomas would be a great example. And Brooke Henderson, I think, is a really good example in the female game. Mm. What I see with those players versus long drives is that those players, to compete at the level they have, they've found ways to create tremendous power in spite of, say, their, their physical capabilities or their physical, say, maybe limitations um, what we see with like so for for Justin Thomas, you see you know the really aggressive uh, jump with the legs in transition and the downswing to try and create power. And Brooke Henderson, I think, is about five foot two or three maybe, and we see her get the extremely long backswing and crazy amount of of torso rotation. I think basically what long drive is is you have players doing these things, but they also have the massive physical capabilities, which means that when they do these things that the smaller players have figured out to create distance, there's obviously a huge separation. They're basically maximizing the technique stuff and they're also blessed with with the huge, you know, physical capabilities of being, you know, taller, stronger, and more powerful. But I think we can we can almost all almost learn a lot from the smaller players who have learned to hit it really far sometimes as much as just studying, you know, the people who are who are at the top. Uh, for sure, yeah. I mean, um, I posted something on Twitter the other day of a, of a guy I've been coaching in, in America, Nick Vorbeck, 
if you haven't seen it. Um, he's about 5'9", five, 5'10". Five, he's put up 154 club head speed. Now, um, 154-223, just started competing. Now, I find this fascinating, and you'd know more about me. You can never quite tell as well what's under the bonnet. <laughs> so it's a bit like when you go to the gym. You might you might walk in, like Jamie said last year, you might, you might walk into the gym and think, you don't look too strong. And, and suddenly they can do things you can't believe. The, the Justin Thomas point is a, a good guy, but he has he has a few long drive moves, doesn't he? The real high hands um, yeah. and that, that lovely jump off that foot. Um, but uh, the small people, are, if, if you start measuring them, you know, in, in uh, over many things of fitness, strength, um, force plate production, speed of them of, of the segments of their body. Sometimes you can then get under the bonnet and see what makes them do things. It's so interesting to find out what someone like that does very well, which someone might might not do with their stamp. Yeah, one one of the things that that comes back to is fiber type distribution. So I've I've said this a few times. We can't see fiber type. So. You could have two people who look exactly the same in terms of height, weight, even their muscle mass and body fat can be the exact same. But we all have a certain distribution of fast twitch fibers and slow twitch fibers. Mm. You could have a world-class power athlete, say somebody who's in the jumps or throws and sprinting, who could be very much predominantly fast twitch fibers. They might be 70% fast twitch fibers, whereas most of us are around 50-50. You then might might have someone who looks extremely similar, but they have 70% slow twitch fibers. Mm. You give those people the same, you know, testing protocol, and there's going to be a huge difference in their power outputs. And that's why we we don't see athletes excel at the higher levels in power and speed sports and endurance sports. You get somebody who's really good at sprinting, jumping, throwing. You don't also get those people really good at long distance cycling, long distance running, because they're they're made up completely differently. I think that's a really good point. That's also one of the reasons why I think sometimes um almost like a counter to to getting bigger and stronger for creating speed is you hear people saying, but Fino doesn't look that big and strong. Justin Thomas doesn't look that big and strong. And one of the answers that I give is you can't see fiber type. We don't know what their breakdown is versus versus your breakdown. The um, someone told me a, a story on uh, Finnau when he was younger. So he did have a very long swing. Uh, Two hundred ball speed was pretty easy for him always. Uh, I think one of his relatives actually is a long driver, so it's it's running in the DNA as well. And basically, he was very long, but he had a he had a bit of an uncontrollable draw hook. And then he changed his swing to this short version of swing that fades, and he's got speed to burn. Um, as, as a silly, as a silly story, um, quite often um, I'm on the range, and the, the mower can damage the ball, so it, it gets like a chip out of it. And I've seen Joe Mill. I've had my flight scope sitting at the back, and I've seen Joe just flick it with his hands to get rid of it to knock it down the range because he doesn't want to hit it. One nineteen <laughs> clubhead speed. So, and do you know? Um, do you know in the, the, the kinematic sequences, as in most people unwind four, three, two, one, as in hips, torso, arm, club? Yeah. Uh, and uh, we know that, um, you know, if you took Kyle Barcher or you took Martin Borgmeyer, he could probably unwind one, one, two, three, four opposite. He could probably do it on one leg kneeling down and still swing at 135 miles an hour. So people who are blessed like that sometimes are so freakish they don't have to follow all the rules. 
Yeah, I know that's that's a great point. Um, that taps into something that I I was going to ask Steve Furlonger in a couple of weeks. I'm going to ask you now, though. Um, we won't spend too long on it. There's a I, I'm uh, I'm a little bit cautious of getting too into uh, too into some of the things and and missing some of the questions that I think some of the listeners would like. Mm. So when we're when we're say reading about speed now or we're we're trying to almost upskill ourselves ground reaction force is something that we hear a lot about like we've talked about players jumping to create power or almost jumping to create power in their swings you just mentioned um joe miller hitting a 119 mile per hour club head speed just flicking at a damaged ball with his wrists to basically get it out of the way is there ways that we can increase club head speed without seeing an increase in ground reaction force or will all increases in speed also show a change in how the ground has been used um uh, it's an interesting question i think um if you see someone with more speed they'll have a, a bigger ground reaction force because there's more torque involved and they're producing more power through the system so i think you'll always see someone faster um, there's an interesting thing that I don't actually know the answer, and um, this seems to be different. That let's take uh, Rory, uh, Rory McIlroy and JB Holmes have the same clubhead speed about. Mm-hmm. We know that Rory has a faster left arm, faster hips than JB Holmes. Rory has faster hips than long drive guys, <laughs> some of them, yeah. yeah. Um, um, and he has a faster left arm than JB Holmes. But um, talking swing positions, P4, top of the swing, P5, sort of left arm. P6 is what everyone would say would be delivery, yeah? Somehow, JB Holmes is able to produce more clubhead speed with a lower arm speed than Rory at the bottom. And if you look at some of the stuff that, that Sasho and uh, Brian Manzella and the others, they're talking about hand couple, which they're agreeing. Or not. There is something else in those hands at the bottom the hand couple, and I know you did forces and motion thing with Sasha and uh, Phil Cheatham, I think. There's something there in the hands that makes a difference. But I also, back to your original question, I also think that would then still produce a better ground reaction force. Um, it's interesting. I work with, with Steve and Steve Gould, Steve Furlonger, and um, I would be probably a bit more interested above the ground, what muscles, what sequence. But then what I do is how to, to, to verify that is I think this move's going to work quicker, but then I want to measure it to see if it's doing it. So how I work with me and Steve, me and Steve do some seminars, I'm interested in the bit above the floor. He's interested in the but, but for me, they're, com- they're completely linked. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's almost like the chicken and the egg analogy, you know? Um, like when you read the research papers, yes, there's a really strong relationship between ground reaction force and club head speed. But something that's kind of perplexed me a little bit, and it's it's one of the things that I'm trying to learn more about is, does the ground reaction force increase? I know I know it can probably work both ways, but does the ground reaction force increase from changing what you're trying to do to the ground with your feet? Or does what you're trying to do with the club or other parts of your body increase the speed that the club is moving? And that changes what the ground reaction force shows. So where do we go concentrating? If we know ground reaction force should be higher, is it a case of what do I need to do with my feet to make this ground reaction force higher? And that will increase my club head speed. Or do I need to change what I'm feeling with my my other parts of my body or the club 
which will increase the ground reaction force. So which which affects which which is the cause and which is the uh, the answer basically, you know? Yeah, the the the, the vaguest answer in the world, I would do both. <laughs> I, know, yeah. I didn't really answer your question, but um, so and, and also, do you know the book I said earlier that you can't? I felt I was a pretty good guess at ball flight. I felt I was a pretty good guess at others, but I can't quite guess guess ground reaction because I can't see it. And exactly what I do with Steve. So this this is a bit of exactly what you said. So this is going on in my mind. I want is it the body doing the ground or the ground doing the body? And this is where me and Steve have come together. Is I do the body bit. And then test it on the ground. Is that working? And then we work together. So I've actually seen it as an amalgamation thing where where I'd argue I'm going to get the body going. He'd argue do this. But for me, it sort of comes together. And I can't quite measure exactly what it's doing with that going on those plates. No, that that makes perfect sense. Like I, I don't think or I, I definitely don't know if there is, you know, an answer to that question that I asked. It might be, well, sometimes it's one, sometimes it's the other. And uh, I, know I, thing, did, I know I didn't give you an answer. No, that's no. You you were honestly. That's kind of what you're looking for is um, the answer to most questions like that. Or well, it it, de- it depends, and it, it could be it could be either or. One of the one of the reasons I've become thinking about that a lot, and it's it's sort of where I need to to spend more time learning to to help my own program design and. And basically help golfers gain more speed is um basically I've come to a point with how I help golfers in that I've gotten enough, say, people through programs now and gotten enough feedback through the app or training people in person where let's just say they follow a 12-week program, they're an average golfer, their club head speed starting was 95, their club head speed finishing was let's say 102. They were someone who hadn't been doing a whole lot of training. They'd never really worked on speed. In 12 weeks, they gained seven miles an hour. And this is someone I might never have seen swinging and I've never met. I just know what exercises they're following in the gym. And I know that they're going to the range twice a week, hitting you know 20 balls as hard as they can. And they're tracking their progress. So up until basically this year, when I got a chance to work with some pros and I decided I basically need to get better at what I'm doing (laughs) or I might not be working with them for very long. What I wanted to find out is why these changes are happening. So the only answer I had was that club head speed was 95. Club head speed is now 102. I knew the person had been working on their mobility, their power, their strength, but I didn't know what has actually changed in their swing. Is it something to do with how they're using the ground? Is it something to do with, say, their 3D, some change in the relationship between their torso and and pelvis angle? Is it something to do with how much they're able to pull with their arms, like you were talking about the left arm speed? And I think that's where the measuring stuff with force plates and with 3D is going to be really, really interesting for integrating, you know, with basically swing training and physical training. Because if you have, if you can have players tested, and you can find out, obviously, the the, re, the real the only thing we really care about when we're looking at speed is the is the club head speed and and the resultant ball speed. But that's going to be limited by the club head speed. Sure. So, what we want, if we can find out how the player produces their power, if we can get measures for well, this is how hard you were pushing off the ground. This is what your your hips, your torso, your arms were doing. This is how much force was being produced. Well, then with different training programs, you might find, well, 
this training program really worked well on how well you could use the ground, but it didn't really change how much your upper body was contributing. Or you might find that some players, and we already know this happens, certain players use their legs an awful lot for power. They don't really use their upper body that much. Well, then you can say to that person, there's there's two things. We can definitely hammer your how strong we make your legs to maximize that because we know you get a lot of power from there. But maybe if we increase how strong your arms are, you'll actually be emphasized to use them more, if that makes sense. And that's basically what you were talking about there with some of the things you're doing. You're trying to get measures for when you change something with the golfer's feels or technique with their body or club, is it changing the ground reaction force and is it changing your speed? And that's what I'm sort of trying to find out with training programs now um, is I know the speed is increasing, but to make better programs, that's not good enough. I need to find out why is this speed increasing? What has actually changed with the movement? I, I agree with you entirely. And I guess I've just been doing it a bit longer in, in the fact that you're, I'm exactly where uh, where you are in that uh, I need to find out. I knew some things worked. I knew some things didn't work. I knew some things worked for other people and didn't work for some. But it was only when I could confirm it and find out what was making a difference. And I guess for the people at home trying to learn how to hit it further, I suppose my only advantage on a lot of other people, because I've covered many areas, I might be able to pick the best one to start with. And I'm being silly, it might just be ball speed. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. A, a person, could, you know, it might not even be down the line of using me or you for fitness or body movement. It, it's just picking at the best. And also, if you're looking at good players, it's the thing that's least invasive to ruin them, you know, because it's a little dangerous thing to to take on. So I would always sort of go through. So in my brain, I might think, well, I, I could try this, do this, do this, but I'm going to pick the thing that I think will do the least damage first of all, but get the best bang. And then exactly all the things that I've do, I do or try, whether it's super speed sticks, whether it's tour tempo, whether it's Mac 3, I've tested it all and I've checked it. Does it make a difference? And then I can feel confident rolling that out on somebody. Yeah, I think the the least invasive way of making change with good players is a really good point. Something that I constantly have to remind myself and I end up saying in a conversation to a to a player, particularly that gets paid to play golf a lot, is that as I try to learn more about the swing and how power is created to make better physical training programs, being really careful that you're not trying to give swing advice. Mm. Like if I'm explain if I'm explaining a jump or a medicine ball throw to a player and why I want them to do it with a certain technique, I need to be really careful that I'm not telling them this is also what I think you should do when you're trying to hit a driver really yeah. far. If you yeah, get me. Because they they have a professional coach mm. and they also, you know, are are you know, really high level players. And it's it it does come to that point where it's like, okay, you're trying to educate yourself as much as possible about how power is created in the swing, but you need to be really careful trying to tell this player what you think or what might be a good idea in their swing because it could completely, you know, basically mess them up as yeah. such. And um one of the, one of the things um uh, I felt more confident about as I got older as a coach. And I said to you about the Bryson thing earlier is that someone comes in, generally tour players have already been measured, they've been in a vest and they've been on a plate and they've got all their data. I think that um, I would say to a very good player in looking at that, that we're going to try this. Let's, let's, you've got your data where you were at the moment. We want to get better. 
Let's try it. I'm quite happy after five minutes to say, hands up, this is a nightmare. This is a disaster. It doesn't work. Let's kill this off. Well, where, where I was younger, I was too proud to say, I don't think this is the right Keep thing. Because <laughs> yeah. you're paying me and this might make sense. I'm, you know, even this week, I, I tried something earlier and six, five shots in, I just didn't like what it was doing. And uh, you'd have a joke, you know, I know you're paying me, but I might have to give you a bit of refund for that five minutes of, uh, of, of stuff I was telling you. So um, check it, measure it, try it. It's a little bit of trial and error for things that work. And if it doesn't work, bin it pretty quickly because we can try it from another angle. So um, having good information, measuring it, making sure it works. But, you know, sometimes you try things and they don't always work that way. So you don't have to stick with it. Perfect. No, that's that's a great point, I think. Um, differences, Lee, with females and males in terms of basically technique and power production. Have you seen differences in swings or do you not approach training or, or coaching uh, females and males differently? But what are some differences that are worth either coaches or uh, hopefully there's females and males listening? Things that sh- they should be aware of that might be more important for males or females based on the genetic differences. Sure. You know, I, I, I see that stat that, you know, most ladies are two-third muscle of men, but we obviously know there's variations within it. You can get some very weak men and some very strong ladies, yeah? Um, yeah. So if, if we're just talking about sort of the average one, um, we know that ladies generally have a little bit more flexibility uh, than a man would do. Uh, we know generally um, ladies can swing or turn. Uh, you, you would notice is the fact that ladies quite often have faster hips than men. Pros, so it isn't always about rotational speed. I think ladies generally could do a little bit more work on bidding stronger. Men generally are happier to try and get stronger. Not so much ladies, unless it's lady pros. I see them working very hard. Um, uh, you would know this fact that the length of your hand arc, we talked about Tony Finnell making that short swing or John Rahm making a short swing. We know the length of your hand arc and the shape of your hand arc can produce speed. So ladies generally would, would probably need to make a longer hand arc, which they can do from flexibility uh, to try and get a little bit more speed. A lot of ladies I see, um, and I'm, you're more the fitness man than me, don't work so hard on their fitness unless they're lady pros. I don't know what your experience on that is. Yeah, like I think it's a it's a kind of another whole topic. It's definitely changing, but I think traditionally females in general were slightly more hesitant to work on strength training because there was the fear of you know not wanting to get big and bulky and looking like the the bodybuilder in the corner of the gym you know and occasionally you see um the i don't know let's say the female athlete on tv competing in the olympics who's you know uh very very large and you know very muscular and there's the fear of oh god is that what happens if i start mm-hmm. lifting weights which we know we know isn't really true um there's usually or oftentimes some chemical enhancement in um in some of the athletes we see that don't quite look um nearly human in in some in some capacity with with ped use and things like that especially going back the years in uh in olympic sports but what i think is um like i think now it is much easier to to basically um have people understand the importance and the benefits of strength training for, for males and females. And I don't think the big and bulky thing is quite as prevalent as it was before, especially in people who are interested in sports performance. What I notice most with uh, differences between males and females is this, the flexibility one is, is for definite. You nearly always have 
females being more flexible and mobile than males. The big difference that I see is even when you make it relative to body weight, I see that females can essentially hold their own with males much more in lower body strength and power, but it's upper body strength and power where the big differences exist. So if you take, let's just say, two 150-pound males and females with similar amounts of muscle mass, in my experience, and I think the research backs this up a little bit, is that the males will be much stronger relatively in the upper body tests. And I think where we might see that transfer into swing speed is that if female players in general can improve the strength of their upper body and even their forearms and wrists and grip strength, I think that can have a huge impact on club head speed. Yeah, I think I think that's very interesting and a, a subject obviously you know more about. The, uh, that would make sense from my experience. And as I said earlier, that a lot of people are obsessed by uh, rotary speed and you know hip speed and torso speed. But when you look into and delve into the details, it ladies quite often are, are faster than men. So it can't be just rotary speed. There has to be a strength element. And you know, if we look at take that to the other extreme with long drivers. You know, we know that Rory's got faster hip speeds than a lot of long drivers. So we know that shoulder, you know, shoulder girdle muscles, upper body strength, arm strength must play a big part. Yeah, no, I think that's that's a really good point. It's it's probably something we'll start to find out a little bit more about too. I'm sure it's there's a, I know there's a lot of research on it. I need to dig into it a little bit more. Something I want to to double check is that. If you if you go back to that example of let's just say the two 150 pound uh, people, one male, one female, and let's say they have the same amount of muscle mass, I'm not quite certain if it's that you will find that the females will have more of the muscle mass distributed in their legs and less in their upper body relative to males, or if it's actually pound for pound, males' upper bodies are stronger. I would think it's probably I would think it's probably more to do with where the muscle mass is distributed. Um, as opposed to there actually being changes in how the muscle mass works per per volume of that muscle mass, if you get me. Yeah. But I do know from, from strength testing and even looking at a, a simple kind of raw way of looking at it is in strength sports, we obviously have weight classes and we have males and females. And if you look at the differences in just say uh, records for males and females, I'm pretty certain there's a much bigger differential in the upper body lifts than the lower body lifts for males and females of the same weight classes. But kind of the takeaway point that I try to to hammer home to female golfers a lot is that I think there's huge scope to improve uh, club head speed with basic upper body training, like the ability to do something like 10 really good push-ups, the ability to do one to three really good chin-ups, which uh, goes for males and females that idea of upper body, shoulder, even forearm and grip strength are really important. Interesting. Um, yeah, maybe if – I presume you you coach some females currently, correct? Yes, yeah, I do, yeah. I teach some females and some uh, uh, some uh, good young uh, girls. Uh, also, I've taught two or three um, – the UK Long Drive Championship, I've won a couple of titles in that with Long Drive girls who can swing it. Um, in England, one one ten uh, club head speed. So I've seen girls as fast as one ten up to one fifteen in this country. So uh, the whole that's, the that's whole spectrum. Amazing. And then well, the, 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 there was a, there was a new superstar of long driving ladies this year. 
lady called Kanani Lodge, I think her name is. Yeah, I've, I've seen her. Yeah. Um, um, unfortunately, she never got a chance to showcase her talents. I think she's of Pacific Island descent, yeah. and I think she was mm-hmm. a very good athlete. But I think she put up one twenty nine. I mean, oh wow! That, I mean, what, uh, a late ladies' long drive. I've been around a long time. Sandra Calbo, the uh, a legend, the long drive was like a was like a one fifteen, one sixteen swing. One twenty nine, one twenty nine is that, that's faster than any of the men on tour. It's unbelievable. Until, sorry, uh, take, take I, out Bryson and Cameron Champ. Sorry, yeah, yeah, that's no, that's that's incredible. Um, something that might be interesting. Um, because you have access to to far more golfers than I do, um, would be interesting. Have you ever measured grip strength with players using a dynamometer? No, never. Do, do you know what a dynamometer yeah, is? The, the the, thing, you, the thing you squeeze that gives yeah, you reading, yeah. Maybe, might 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 be cool to do um, some testing there with males and females, and even and even uh, try and match it out for body weight. See, like if you have some juniors who are of similar age, just check the boys versus the girls and the males versus the females. Yeah, I know there'd be there'd be more differences than just grip strength, but uh, might be even just interesting to track if as grip strength goes up, does clubhead speed go up? It's something I've been looking at as well. I got a dynamometer recently. Um, yeah. something that I think might be interesting. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, I never thought about it. Um, just two more questions, Lee. I know we've taken up a decent amount of your time. Uh. Is there anything you predict, or is there anything that is not mainstream in golf coaching now that you predict will become mainstream or common in the near future? Um, there's some interesting stuff that Michael Jacobs 3D, if you've seen any of this, uh, Alpha Man, uh, I don't know if you've seen that, which is measuring force production per segment of the body, which is just coming out very interesting. I don't know much more about it than that, but that seems to be an interesting way. Um, I, I, I alluded to the um, the bit about the JB Holmes and the um, uh, Rory with uh, speed. This hand couple, what's going on here? Um, as much as I can understand the, the science and the uh, the mathematical equations, yeah. there seems there seems to be a, a dispute between those guys on what's happening, but something's happening. Uh, so that's an area I, I would be interested in. So there's force production happening there. Um, so those are the things that are interesting me. So um, and worth worth looking at. An area that I'm studying or trying to study at the moment is is what's happening with the club and those other bits. And the Alpha Man project, I need to find out more about. Um, and then that can measure where the force production is coming from each body segment and each muscle, they're saying. So that's what I'm interested in, which would I believe would become mainstream. Yeah, that's something I need to check out too. It sounds exactly like uh, something I'd be interested in. And then lastly, Lee, um, if people want to find out more from you or book a lesson or get in touch, where is the best places to find you? Uh, I'm at, uh, I'm on Instagram and Twitter under Lee Cox Golf. Uh, I'm at the Shire London in, in North London. Uh, pretty easy place to get to. It's just off the motorway there. And my email is leacoxgolf at gmail.com, leacoxgolf at gmail.com. That's excellent. Lee, thank you very much. I think you provided some great info. Hopefully the listeners enjoy it. And as I always say, if anybody has any questions, feel free to reach out to me. And I think you're pretty open to uh, answering some questions from interested listeners too, Lee. Sure, yeah, anytime, Michael. Yeah, good, good to come on. Thanks for having me on. Always good talking to you. Thanks very much, Lee.
Thanks, Mark.